You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. I was in a conference last week. My wife went with me over in Florida, and a friend of mine over there told me a story, and I got—I don't tell a lot of stories, but I got to tell you this story because it's a true story, and I don't hear many true stories, especially from people in churches, you know. <laughs> I think a lot of times you hear these preachers telling stories, you go, that didn't happen. He made that up for his deal. It has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. It will in a second, but it's a great story. There's some Darwin Awards. Anybody ever heard of the Darwin Awards about people who do stupid things? Well, here's a Darwin Award winner. This guy went out and bought him a brand new Jeep Grand Cherokee. How many of you heard the story about you? Not many of you, so we're safe. Guy goes out and buys like a $40,000 Jeep Cherokee. And he is some kind of excited about this Jeep. He's a big hunter, fisherman, got him a bird dog. So he loads all his equipment up and goes out. He lives up in the north somewhere. And it's wintertime, but he's in his Jeep. He's safe. So he goes out and he wants to fish. Okay? So there's a lake. And the lake's frozen over. Now, how do you fish in a frozen lake? You've got to get you a hole in the lake, right? So he's got his Jeep. He drives out there on the lake. And this isn't legal, but here's what he decides to do to bust a hole in the ice. He lights a stick of dynamite, okay? And he takes this stick of dynamite, and he throws it out on the ice. Well, the second he throws that stick of dynamite out on the ice, guess what happened? The dog went to fetch it. So he has thrown this stick of dynamite, and his buddies are all standing there, and they realize this dog is going after this stick of dynamite. He doesn't know that's what he's trained to do. So the dog is hauling out to get this stick of dynamite. The guy reaches in. They realize if that dog comes back, there's like a 40-second fuse on this stick of dynamite. It's history. We're all history. So this poor dog is doing what he's trained to do, goes out, and they realize he's coming back. They grab a rifle and shoot the dog. Well, they didn't kill the dog. The dog went down and thought, well, something must be wrong. And he's, you know, he's still kind of making it. It's a tragic story. The dog kind of is down, but he goes, well, maybe, you know, maybe I did something wrong. I'll try better. And he gets up and he's coming back at him again. Well, boom, they shoot him again. The dog says, something's wrong. Something's not right about this. So what does the dog do? He crawls over and gets under the Jeep. <laughs> Well, anybody wants to figure out what happened. The Jeep and the dog blew up, and there went the guy's truck. I haven't heard anything that crazy in a long time. <laughs> on the way back from this conference, I got on a plane with my wife, and I, anybody that's ever flown has probably experienced this. I got on the plane, and it's kind of almost full, and we go back to our aisle, and I look on my aisle, and there's somebody. My wife and I have been gone for a few days. You know how you get on a plane, like, I don't want to sit by somebody and talk. I don't even want to sit by. I just want to sit down here and be still. So there's like three rows that are empty, and our rows got one person, and I said, well, back, sit three rows up in our wrong row. Now, see, I don't mind this, but when you're the wife, I guess, sitting there going, I don't want to be here, and she didn't like this. I don't want to be here because the person who's sitting here is going to come and go, 
you're in my seat, could you, you know, and then all that stuff. Well, I go hightailing it back out to the terminal, back to the desk. Ma'am, there's three rows here that are empty. Could you move us? No, there's somebody on all those rows. So I go back in. Rebecca finally says, Richard, you got to get me out of this aisle. Let's go sit where we belong. I've been fighting this, so we sit back there. The bottom line of this, it's selfish. I don't want to engage in a conversation with somebody. I want to be to myself. I don't want to worry about anybody else. I'm being real honest with you today. So I sit down, and if it's a three-hour flight for two hours, this person sitting down there by the window by Rebecca says nothing, and we say nothing, well, we talk to each other, but we didn't really converse. And 30 minutes before we landed, I said, you know what, this is nuts. You see, from my perspective, it's not about having to talk to someone on a plane, but what the bottom line is, there's an opportunity. Here is a person that I will never see again probably in my life, and I've shared this stuff with you all in here before, I supposedly am carrying around this awesome thing inside of me, this treasure, this gift of eternal life, this relationship I have with God through Jesus Christ, and here I am on a plane for three hours with somebody who may never hear it again, may have never heard it before, and what am I worrying about? Having a nice, quiet flight with my wife and, you know, literally to hell with him. And that's what, for all intents and purposes, what we say a lot of times. So, you know, I'm thinking about that and going, you know, this is pretty sad. Here I am. I've been to some religious conference. This is nuts. <laughs> so I lean over and start a conversation with this guy. And I'll tell you a little bit about it now. And then at the end, I'll finish it. So I get in this thing. He is from California, lives in L.A. And he has a son in Jacksonville, Florida. And a week before this, he's been married. He was separated from his wife, married twice, now divorced again. He's separated from his wife lives in California, and he said, I haven't talked to my son in a long time, never talked to my son. And he said, last Wednesday, my son called me on the phone and said, Dad, I need you. And he got on a plane that day. By the next morning, he was there where his son needed him. I thought that was pretty awesome. Dad could have said, hey, you didn't need me before. Why do you need me now? You figure it out. Went out there, spent a week, and as eternity would have it, the providence of God, there he ends up next to me. So we started talking. And I said, Glenn, where'd you grow up? North Carolina. Talked about that a little bit. I said, did you grow up in church there? And this is what he said. And guys, I hear this so much. And this is what we're going to talk about today. In talking to people about eternity, about church, about God, about all this spiritual stuff, you know what one of the number one answers I get from people when I start to talk to them about spiritual things, about God and about church, I would go to church or I would give my life to Christ if it wasn't for the, the hypocrites. Who are these people that are screwing everything up? <laughs> I mean, it's certainly not anybody in here. <laughs> he said, I grew up in a church and around all this religious stuff. And he said, I saw so many hypocrites, so much hypocrisy. He said, I saw all these people that went to church and said all this stuff and claimed to do all this stuff, and they didn't do any of it. It was just a show. It was just uh, some kind of an act they put on around other church people. But everybody in town, including this guy who grew up around them, said, it's worthless. It's meaningless. It's just religion. It's just hypocrisy. Now, how many people in this room have been thrown off course? Maybe a part of the reason you got derailed from the spiritual path was because somebody who claimed to be something, whether it was a husband, a wife, a mom, a dad, a boss. I mean, I'll tell you one of the scariest things, and I don't want to know. Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But some of you guys may have bosses, and they may be in the room. Man, 
this could, uh, let's just close in prayer. I don't think I'm going here anymore. If you have somebody or you are this person in your office that says, I'm a Christian, I go to such and such church, and I've walked into people's offices that had big old black Bibles laying on their desk or in their cubicle somewhere. And people walk by and they see the book and they hear the stories and they watch the life and they go, who needs that? Hypocrite. Guys, I'm going to talk to you today about what Jesus said about hypocrisy and about hypocrites and encourage you to not be one of these people. Sometimes people think they read the Bible and Jesus just had scathing, all-out, lambasting attacks on prostitutes, on thieves. I mean, we can go down the list and think of all the people we would think that Jesus would just blast the most scathing remarks that Jesus ever made about anybody in the Bible. You know who they were? Religious people, Pharisees and Sadducees. I can read you verse after verse after verse, and we're going to look at some of these Kind of hit them quick. Let me first give you a definition of a hypocrite. The word hypocrite, it's not anything to do with a hippopotamus, by the way. <laughs> you know what a hippopotamus is? Hippopotamus, it's two words that mean river, horse. So that didn't have to do with anything here, but anyhow. <laughs> Just giving you stuff you've never wondered about, and now you know. Hypocrite. A hypocrite is this. It's a compound Greek word bringing together hupo, meaning under, and krites, indicating judgment, hence to judge under. Okay. Originally, the word was used for an actor in the Greek theater. Now, here's what would happen in this Greek theater. One actor might appear in the same production several times with his true identity disguised by various masks. This actor would come out and play four or five different roles and would put on a different mask. To determine his true identity, one would have to judge beneath the mask. Thus, the word has become synonymous with insincerity or mere pretense. It's an act. It's a mask. Hey guys, I know something about this personally, and I'm not telling you this is a funky thing to get up here and talk about hypocrisy because I can be guilty of it today as fast as anybody else. I grew up in a Christian home, went off to a university, went to seminary, got out of seminary, had pastored a church during those years for four years, and I would get up in a pulpit somewhere and preach a sermon, and people would come down these aisles and make decisions, and their lives would be changed. I was saying the right things. I was even looking right. I'd put my shirt and tie and all the, you know, the right trappings, the church stuff, but I kept looking at these people and thinking, you know what? They think I'm something. I know I'm not. I feel empty, I feel afraid, I feel all the things they probably feel, but I'm too scared to admit that what they think I am, I'm really not, and I don't know how to tell them that. And finally I said, enough's enough, this thing has got to be mine. I cannot be hypocritical about this the rest of my life. I'd rather stop for a little while, figure some of this stuff out, and get a balance, the pressure from the outside equal to that on the inside, at least, if not make it greater as he who is in me than he who is in the world, and feel healthy about this. It took about 10 years in the business world. And I slowly came back in and began to teach, and I kind of made a deal. I said, God, I'm not going to tell people about stuff I don't know anything about anymore. I don't want to get up and just you know, put all this stuff out there, and people think you know, you're something that you're not. I still mess up, guys. I mean, I can outdo any of you any day, probably, in that category. But I know what it feels like, and I know how terrible it is to be something on the outside and to feel so empty on the inside. A lot of people, some of you guys have been Christians maybe 5, 10, 15, 50 years. 
and this is not to come down heavy on anybody, but think about how many people you work with or know that really know you have this personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Sometimes not many. You know, one of the main reasons nobody knows, possibly one of the main reasons nobody in your office or family or friends know that you're a Christian, because you're so terrified somewhat that you won't know what to say if you bring it out. Secondly, you're so scared that if you say, you know what, I am a believer, that they're going to go, yeah, you're like the guy at my office that has a Bible on his desk. Yeah, we know you. You're not perfect. And we're so afraid we're going to be seen as what? A hypocrite that we say, well, God, you know my heart, and I know you, and you know me, and I'm going to go to heaven, and I don't want to make trouble, and you know I don't like hypocrites either, so I don't want to be one, so I'll just keep my mouth shut and keep going. But in the meantime, I got this man sitting next to me on a plane because I'm worried about all that stuff about me. Who needs to know? Now let me jump down here and tell you what happened to Glenn. We talked for 30 minutes. The plane landed, and in those 30 minutes, I said, Glenn... It isn't about church. It isn't about religion. It's not about the hypocrites. There were hypocrites then. There are hypocrites now. And I said, don't let the hypocrites be the thing that you show up in heaven and say, well, God, you know, I really would have done this eternal life thing, but it was a hypocrite. So I'm going to go to hell because of all the hypocrites. That ain't going to be a very good excuse, and it ain't going to work. I said, Glenn, do you understand that Jesus Christ died on a cross, was buried, raised from the dead? This is about a gift. You'll never be good enough. This isn't about being a good person. Even if you do get this gift of eternal life, you're going to make mistakes. See, what works better in your office is if you say, you know what, I'm a believer. I'm not perfect. You know me. You know my life. You know where I mess up. But there's something changing in your life. You're growing. This guy on the plane, after 30 minutes of a conversation explaining to him how to receive this gift of eternal life, the plane lands, and I'm like, you know, if I'd started this about two hours earlier, I'd be a lot better off. I'm kind of panicked. He's got to catch a connection. The plane lands, and these people were taxing. You know how everybody's just dying to get off a plane? They're in the aisles, reaching over, grabbing luggage. And I said, Glenn, just sit right here. I said, nobody knows what we're doing. We're fine. He leaned in towards me. My wife's between us. And I said, Glenn, how would you like to receive this gift of eternal life? And I said, do you understand what I'm talking about? He said, you know, no one has ever explained it to me this way before. He says, I've never heard it like this before. Now, I didn't tell you about Glenn. He's probably 60-ish. He's a nice, distinguished black man who's been sitting there for two hours writing a letter to his son. I said, Glenn, how would you like right here on this plane to receive this gift of eternal life? And here's what he said. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? And amidst all this hustle and bustle and people moving around, this distinguished black gentleman bows his head on an airplane and we prayed a simple prayer. He said, you know, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead to provide eternal life for me. And this man is praying this out loud on the plane. Amen. And he said, I believe he was buried and raised from the dead to pay for my sin, to give me eternal life. I'll never be good enough, God, to get into heaven, but I thank you for loving me said, amen, people are moving and going. We're the last ones on this plane. And he raised his head. I said, Glenn, if you drop dead right now, where would you go? And he said, to heaven, just like that. I said, how do you know that? He says, because I've got this gift of eternal life. I've got God in me now. Now, what happens to a guy like Glenn? How does that happen? How does a guy grow up in black Baptist churches or anybody in white churches or just in America? 
where so many people, here we are in the Bible belt, loop buckle, you know, we're like in the middle of whatever it would be. <laughs> How is it that all these people walk around us, next to us in planes, in our offices, in our business situations, and they do the church thing and all that, but they miss it. This man's been living for 60 years, three wives, struggling. And at one point in the conversation, you know what he said? I'm an agnostic. He had just decided, I don't believe anything. He's trying to find an answer for what he doesn't have. And someone sat down and explained it to him. Now, did I do it willingly and eagerly, jump on the plane? Oh, great, look who's in 26B, you know. I'm kicking and screaming. I'm supposed to be some church person. And I'm trying to, you know, figure out how to get in another row. And God's saying, Ellis, if you just sit down in the seat, I have had set here from the foundation of the world, Glenn has gone to Florida and is coming back. And if you don't sit your bottom down here, we're going to miss this. But what about me, God? I want to sit quietly like a dork with my wife for three hours. Now, do you think I felt better after the conversation with Glenn or if I had survived and somehow gotten on a row by myself? It's never easy, guys. You say, yeah, well, it's easy with somebody on a plane. You may never see him again. What about that person sits next to me in my office or the person at the table? See, how many of y'all work together? Raise your hand if there's somebody in the room you work with. See, man, look at that. Well, if I get all verbal about this thing and claim to know God and all this, they're going to go, we've known you for 10 years. You're, you know, you're a flake. We all know your, <laughs> we all know your weaknesses. We know what you do. We've heard your language. Guys, it's not about being perfect. One day you'll be perfect when you get home. It's about growing. A wedding is an event. A marriage is a process. Birth, when you get God in your life, it's an event. But the Christian life is a process of growing. You're going to make mistakes. But acknowledge it and go the next thing. But don't let the hypocrites or your fear of being one of these people, you say, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. You know what? Then don't. <laughs> don't be a hypocrite. Let me give you one of these examples I mean, if you want, if you're writing notes, if anybody ever does this, Matthew 23, he unloads eight times. Woe to you. He warns Pharisees and scribes, hypocrites. And it's not like they're out of the room. They're right there in his presence. He looks at these guys and says, I'm warning you, Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites. And he just bam, bam, bam for these things that they did. Look at, there's one in Matthew 7. And this is this would be a great one probably to wrap it up, and I would suggest you go back and read the other ones. And everybody knows about this one. This verse is quoted nowadays more than anything I've heard. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. We ought to tolerate anybody and everything. That's not what this is about. He says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye... But do not consider the plank in your own eye. And I don't have a board up here. But guys, this is like if you've got a little something in your eye, if all of a sudden he's down here blinking and I realize, oh, man, this guy's in pain and he's doing this and it's either his contact, he's got something in his eye, it would be like me having a chair on my head like this and going, <laughs> let me help you here, buddy. <laughs> when we do it the wrong way, it's like we're going up to somebody who's really got a problem but our problem, our life is so obvious and so obtuse that we come at them with this lumbering, you know, plank. Let me try to help you. And the guy goes, you're nuts. Get away from me. How are you going to help me with one little speck in my eye when you've got this problem you can't even deal with? Now, but listen, 
How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. And the next word Jesus uses is this, hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Don't go around trying to fix everybody else's problems when you've got problems of your own. But keep listening. He says hypocrite, and then he says this, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now see, what's at stake here? Oh, well, I mean, I got all these boards sticking out of my head. I don't want to help anybody. <laughs> I'm, every time I look in the mirror, I just see hypocrite in the mirror. You know, I guess I'm just finished. He says, no, deal with your problem. Whatever it is you're acting about to your kids, your wife, your family, the people at work, get by yourself say, you know what, God, this is a sorry way to live. I don't feel right. I don't feel good. I'm claiming to be all these things I'm not. I'm going to admit it to you and anybody else I have to and deal with this thing. So you get the plank out of your eye, then what happens? He says, first do that, what? So that you can see clearly. Now see, I know people in my life sitting next to me on the plane. You got people at the table around you you work with, and all of us have got trouble. All of us have got specks in our eye somewhere. And you know what? We need help. I can't do it by myself. And the speck thing, Jesus was a genius at this stuff. You know sometimes you can't get that speck out. What do we say? Man, you got to help me. We're in pain. Somebody help me. We need to be there for each other. But we've got to deal with our own stuff, get the hypocrisy out of our life, not just so we'll be happier, but so that we can in turn look at somebody else who's dealing with something and say, look, man, if you think a speck's bad, man, listen, I had this plank in my eye. And they say, well, really? I mean, you've been through stuff like this before too? You say, yeah, you know what, I struggle with this, this, and this. And they say, well, man, maybe you can help me. If you've had such to remove something so big, maybe this, I thought this was big, but maybe it's not. And all of a sudden they'll listen to you, where before if you were claiming to be something you weren't, they wouldn't let you near them. Now they're saying, well, maybe you are one of us. Maybe you can help me. And you start seeing God make a difference in your own life when you deal with your hypocrisy. And when your hypocrisy is gone, you start seeing God work through your life in other people's life in this speck removal business. Because people are hurting everywhere. Whether they don't know where they're going to spend eternity, or they don't know how they're going to pay their next bill, or they just need somebody to sit. You know, people got specks in their eye. I got some. I got to have people in my life. Don't let the hypocrites keep you out of heaven. Don't let the hypocrites keep you out of church. If you don't know you're welcome in this church, you need to know that. But you say, you know what, I don't live downtown, I work downtown, I wouldn't raise Baptist, whatever. Let me tell you, it's through the charter hospital thing. If you don't get help here, get help somewhere. <laughs> you're welcome here, but you're not going to make it by yourself. And if you spend the rest of your life saying, well, I'd join a church and go to church if it wasn't for the hypocrites. Let me tell you something. If it wasn't for people, church would be a great thing. <laughs> of course, it wouldn't exist because it's not a building. It's people. It's just the deal. But it's a bunch of people who are willing to say, all right, I'll get the planks out. I'll help you, you help me. None of us is gonna be perfect, but let's get committed, let's get grounded somewhere together, and let's help each other help somebody else. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I wanna share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest, real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. 
You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. All right, let's pray just a minute and then we'll be out of here. Father, thank you so much for this group, for this time. Father, it's, I mean, I know just after saying some of the things I've said, my own hesitation and selfishness getting on a plane like that, God. But if I feel that way, then I know there are other people in this room, Lord. If we would just get out of the way and deal with our own hypocrisy that we hate so much in other people and say, God, it's not the speck first in their eyes. It's this problem in my own. If we would deal with these things that you bring to our hearts and minds, then, Father, the potential just in this room for the people that are here to go back to their offices, go home, admit, you know what, I've made a mistake. I'm not perfect, but I do care about you, and I do want to help if I can. Where we take the time to listen and reach out to someone else instead of living in our own hypocritical, selfish worlds. Let our lives make a difference in your kingdom and the lives of those people around us. We love you, God. We thank you for loving us so much and for your mercy and forgiveness toward us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.